message is somewhat different. If you are taking notes, get your pen and paper ready because we're going to be looking at uh, a bit of a trail right through some of the scripture. Will you turn with me, please, to Mark's gospel? Mark's gospel, please. And chapter 12. Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, beginning to read at verse 1. And he began to speak unto them by parables. A certain man planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it and digged it a place for the wine fat and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And at the season he sent to the husbandmen a servant that he might receive from the husbandmen of the fruit of the vineyard. And they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent unto them another servant, and at him they cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully handled. And again he sent another, and him they killed, and many others, beating some and killing some. Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, They will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do when do he will come and destroy the husbandmen and will give the vineyard to others? And have you not read the scripture, the stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. Take note of that. They knew that he had spoken the parable against them, and they left him and went their way. Let us pray. Father, tonight we thank you for so many you've brought out in this holiday season. We thank you that you've laid it upon the hearts of men and women to be here tonight. And Father, we ask you now that you would take what is said tonight and wing it to our hearts. Pray, Father, that you would instruct us and teach us in the way which we should go as a church and as individuals, as a family, but that you would guide us with your eye, Lord, at all times. And through the rest of this evening and this message, we pray, Father, that Christ would have the preeminence and that he alone would be seen as King and Savior and Lord. Bless your people. Bless those who are watching live or later. And, Father, we pray to give those who are ill, their portion of the blessing, will you meet them where they are? Remember June's mum. 
and June and Willie at the hospital. Lord, would you encourage them, we pray. For Jesus' name's sake, we ask it. Amen. This evening, we want to entitle the message, The Vineyard and the Dispute of Rights. The Vineyard and the Dispute of Rights. You see, when people see or read about the Lord Jesus, he's just telling a parable and there's a nice little story behind it. And, you know, maybe they, they can get a little message for someone out of it, salvation message. It's, it's a surface sort of a teaching, but this is a kingdom parable. And the real meaning, the deeper meaning behind it, we endeavor to look at it this evening. Because there's a dispute of rights, not only over the Canaan land where he is at this present time in our reading, but there's a dispute of rights. Who is not only king, but who is owner? Physically, spiritually, who is the real owner? In our reading this evening in Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, we have Jesus speaking the parable of himself. He is the Son sent, the only Son sent to the vineyard. And of course, he is killed. And then he is the stone which the builders have rejected. And hence, he's speaking of his own death at Calvary. He's speaking of his own Death on the cross. He's speaking of the time that we've been singing about where he shed his blood for you and for me that we might be saved, that we might be forgiven, that we might be redeemed. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 12 and verse 1, we're told of a a certain man. It says, a certain man planted a vineyard. A certain man is God the Father. He is the owner, as it were, of the vineyard. The certain man was the man who owned the parcel of ground and he decided to plant a vineyard. And the vineyard is not only the territory, but the people are the vine. The people of Israel, now ancient Israel, are the vine. Will you turn with me to Isaiah, please? Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah 5, and just a few verses from chapter 5, beginning to read of verse 1. And take note of the words of the prophet to ancient Israel. I will sing to my beloved a song of my beloved, touching, notice, his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. Speaking of Israel here, ancient Israel. And he fenced it. And gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could, ha- what could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it. Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, it brought forth wild grapes. In other words, these weren't true to God, not true Israelite grapes. In other words, they had, they had become soured and marred. 
And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down, and I will lay it waste, and it shall not be pruned nor digged. Take notes of this, pruned nor digged. This is important. But there shall come briars and thorns, and I will also command the clouds that they rain, no rain upon it. And what the Lord is saying here is, he will take the hedge and the walls of protection away from the people because of their sin, because of their idolatry, because of their wickedness, because of their ways. And he says, I'll take it away, and the thorns and briars are really, the heathen roundabout will come in, and they will possess the land. And he's speaking of it as a vineyard and a vine. Notice what it says in verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And they look for judgment, but behold oppression, for righteousness, but behold a cry. And what he is saying is God looked on the nation. God looked from the leadership of the nation down, and he says, is there any justice? The judgment means, is there any justice? Is that which is evil being stamped out and that which is good and righteous, is it being promoted? Is it being lifted up? And he says it wasn't. He says, this is why I'm doing this. This is why the nation is in a a terrible state. This is why the enemy will come in. This is why righteousness falls and the evil prevails. He says, because I have lifted my hand of protection as a hedge or as a wall from it. And we know that the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes were divided in 1 Kings chapter 12 before this in the two kingdoms. And the vineyard of the Lord of hosts as the house of Israel became more known as the northern kingdom, carried away captive about 720, into different incursions, but ending around 722 into 721 B.C. And the Lord said to them through the prophet Hosea, he says, I will hedge up their ways, not for protection, but while they migrate, they will not know who they are. They will not know their heritage. They'll forget their, as it were, their state religion. They'll forget their God whom they worshiped. They'll become like the heathen. And that's what has happened throughout time. And left there was the little kingdom of Judah. And Judah later on, this happens in Babylon. The, and Nebuchadnezzar comes and takes them away into Babylon. And the Lord moves upon the heathen king to release them after 70 years to bring them back to Canaan land. And now throughout the years, this little Judahite nation comes back. They start to become mixed again with different religions. They start to become mixed again with different peoples round about. They become infused with what was known as the children of Esau. And Esau had forced religion upon them to become uh, Jews of the Jews' religion, Judaizers. And hence, you, you can read about this in history before the coming of Christ. Hence, Herod the king who tried to kill Christ was an Edomite, but Jewish by religion. 
Not a, a, a drop of Israelite blood was in his veins and his family on down and many, many others of them. And even the Lord Jesus said to the leaders of Jewry in his day, he tells them, you're off your father, the devil. In other words, you're off the line of Esau who sold his birthright for a pot of super stew. And he tells them, and this is who in Mark's gospel, chapter 12, he's speaking to, and they realize he's speaking of them, and they are so mad about this, so angry about this, because Christ is saying, you're not off my people. Christ is saying, you are not the true vine. And when we look at this, and throughout history, we find in, for example, in Hosea chapter 10, if you would want to flick with me, I'm going to just try and get it quickly here. In Hosea chapter 10 and in verse 1. Listen to what the prophet says. And Hosea is a prophet to the northern kingdom, this little vineyard, the northern kingdom of ten tribes in the north. They have a capital city of Samaria. And notice what he says in Hosea 10 and verse 1. This is before they're carried away captive. Israel is an empty vine. In other words, you've sinned so far, you've sinned so long, you've went so deep, you've refused my callings. And he's saying, there's no fruit on you. You're an empty vine. And the prophet Hosea was to this northern kingdom. Israel is an empty vine. Notice he bringeth forth fruit unto himself. He does what he wants. Lives how he likes. Passes the laws in his nation that he thinks are good according to his moral standard and not to God's. And notice what he says here. He brings forth fruit unto himself according to the multitude of his fruit. He hath increased the altars. There's his idolatry to other gods in the nation. According to the goodness of his land, they have made goodly images. Their heart is divided. Notice, their heart is divided. Now shall they be found faulty. And the Lord's saying, you're faulty, you're sinful, you're an empty vine, there's no fruit on you. You're just all self, self, self. It's the God of me, myself, and I. It's the God of man. It's the God of man's thinking, man's want, man's building. We see it today in our nation. It's what's happening in the here and now. It's what's happening in the United Kingdom and in Ireland. It's happening across the United States and Canada. It's happening in New Zealand and Australia and South Africa and so on across Europe. It's the kingdom of man, the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And we are finding ourselves that we have gone the same way, even though Christ has redeemed us with his blood. Our nation is falling into a terrible condition with all manner of sin, with all manner of evil and wickedness from higher echelons up right down to the very man and woman, the five-eighths like you and me. And take note of this, this empty vine. In John 15, the Lord Jesus comes in verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. Why did he say that? Why did he say I'm the true vine? Because he was speaking to his disciples and he says, outside of me, there's no salvation And outside of me, there's no fruit bearing. That's suitable fruit. You know what he was saying? I am what Israel were meant to be, and they've failed miserably. 
I am what the ancients used to be and were meant to be, pardon me, and, and they have failed miserably. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. My father is the one who planted this vine in this vineyard. And he sent me. And I'm the true vine. He says, if you're in me, you'll bear fruit. If you're not in me, you won't bear fruit. He says, but I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. And so, brothers and sisters, we'll find here, if you will, go back to Isaiah 5. We're looking at the people of this vineyard. And the Lord is saying here, from verses 8 to verse 22, there are six woes given. Six woes. And I haven't time to read through them all, but he says even how the people are being herded house against house. The Lord didn't want it like that for the nation. Doesn't want it like that for our nation. We were to have farming land. Land between us. Do you know whenever I was in Romania 25, oh, four or five years ago, we were driving through and there was still a bit of communism in Timisoara city. And we were driving through and we asked this Romanian who was with us why there were so many rows and rows of blocks of flats, rows of them, rows of them. He says they put them house to house so they can control the people easier. Russia, the communists, Put them house to house in order to control the people easier. And we can say, see today how of the population being crammed, nowhere to go out, so then they go up. And people upon people brings violence into a nation, violence into the city. There are rapes and murders and robberies and so on. All sorts of manners of gangs and violence in our land. And God says, woe unto them that join house to house. There's meant to be room for each and every one of us. And then he says in verse 11, Won't to them that rise up early in the morning, they that, that they may follow strong drink. He calls the northern kingdom the drunkards of Ephraim. Ephraim was the name of Joseph's son. Ephraim of Manasseh. Ephraim became the firstborn in Israel. And it was the northern ten tribes were called Ephraim after this man. He represented them. And they had a drink culture. They had a drunkard's culture. And the Lord says, you're rising up so as you can go out to the pub. You're rising up and you, you can get the energy to go and do it. You, you'd spend all night in the devil's den. You'd spend all night uh, drinking the, the devil's vomit. You'd spend all night spending all your money. He's saying, and you will do that, but you will never come to worship the Lord. Because you're evil and your ways are wicked. And our culture, especially in Northern Ireland, I suppose all of Ireland especially, but in Northern Ireland, we have a, a drinker's culture. We are the drunkards of Ephraim in this United Kingdom of ours. We have a drunkard's culture where if you go out, it's not for one. You go out, they get drunk and plastered. Isn't that right? People are falling down left, right and center. Drug addicts are dying on the streets of Belfast and of Glasgow and of Dublin and of London and of Cardiff. And they're dying in their multitudes almost all over the country. And why they're dying, the Lord's saying, because 
This is to do with the housing upon housing upon housing. It's the influence upon the influence. It's the encroaching upon the encroaching. And it's all to do with control. Destroy the family unit. Destroy the schoolhouse. Destroy the mines in the university. He says, and they will come to naught through alcohol, the drunkards of Ephraim. We have this culture. This is our culture today. And sure, everywhere you go, it's uh, let's go. And if you watch some of those uh, those shows, uh, those soaps, are sure everything revolves around a pub. It all revolves around the bar. And the Lord says, woe unto them. The Lord says, woe unto these who put us house to house, as it were. And then when you go on down to verse 18, woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin, as it were, with a cart rope. He's saying your sins are heaping upon, heaping upon you. And you're pulling it like a cart with rope. And the rope must get stronger because the sin gets heavier and the wheels go deeper in the mire. This is the idea of this. And God is telling us tonight, this is our nation. This is our people. And then he says in verse 20, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. We see people posting that on social media, don't we? We see that up on uh, what they call the wayside pulpit, it used to be called, out at the front of many churches. And people have no idea really what they're saying. Oh, it's a wee bit evil. It's, oh, it's good to be good. It's not what it means. The Lord is saying, all of this is Antichrist spirit against me. Every part of it is an Antichrist spirit against me. Woe unto them, he says, that are calling evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, for bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And then he goes again and he says in verse 21, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. And that's what we're hearing. Everywhere in the streets, we don't want God. We don't believe in God. We don't need God. And all the pointy-headed professors are telling us that they're so full of brains, they know better than God. Let's cure the ozone layer. Let's change climate control. How are we going to do that? I know. Let's get rid of the cows. Have you ever heard someone so ridiculous in your life? It's ridiculous. These are the men and the women on the higher echelons who are instructing us, who are supposedly teaching us. And verse 22, Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine, and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward. You know, nowadays, the pedophile gets a slap on the wrist. And now, listen, I've told you this for months, and we're getting closer to it. Well, what's going on in the schools? What's going on to teach your children in the schools the most vilest of, of sexual activities are coming into your schools now? It's already passed in government. And here's the thing about it, brothers and sisters. Listen to what he says which justify the wicked for reward. 
and take away the righteousness of, of the righteous from him. Do you know all of this that's happening in our land, in our nation, among our children? I've told you this for a long time now. The next thing it is, the pedophiles are just mild, minor attracted people. That's coming next. The pedophiles are just minor attracted people. And I'll say this without fear and favor. They're not just minor attracted people. They're perverts. They're perverts. And so we see how the Lord with this vineyard which he has planted, he sees them and he sees us. We, this people who he speaks to through his word this evening, we, this nation who he talks to and warns of of a judgment that will come, even says about how the Lord will cause the rain to fall or the rain to stop. You know, and they're talking about fires all over Greece and all this sort of stuff. Let me tell you something. We have families from the church in Greece tonight and they're out landing the sun. They said it's great. There's nothing wrong. Tonight. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful. If you want to know the truth, Jesus said, Father, thy word is truth. There's the truth. Notice here, he says, I will lift the rain or I will drop the rain, paraphrasing. And brothers and sisters, we see that the Lord is in control of all things, even the weather. Even the weather. And you know, I thought if if evolution had been true, which it's not, but if it had been true, we would have all had gills behind our ears by now with the water that's falling here. (laughs) We'd have needed it. And so in Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, there's a dispute of rights. The dispute of rights. Turn with me, please, to Mark 12 again. And this dispute of rights is between Christ and these Jewish leaders. Between Christ and these Jewish leaders. In Mark 12 and verse 2, it says uh, uh, about this certain man, he planted a vineyard and it says, or pardon me, in verse 1, he planted a, a vineyard and he sat in hedge about it and digged it, a place for the wine fat. This gives the idea of the wine fat. The wine represents blood. When we gather together on the Lord's Day morning, we partake from the table and we partake, well, we use the juice, the red juice, and there's the, the, the bread. We are reminded of the Lord's broken body on the bread, but it says in the when we lift the cup and it's red, he says, this is my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So the red, the wine fat, means the blood. So here there is a house in this vineyard where the wine grapes are crushed to make the wine and the blood would be shed, given the idea of the temple of God in the midst of it. And then it says here, and he built a tower, and the tower is the, the house and the throne of David. The house of King David and the throne of King David. And I haven't time to do it tonight, but the throne of King David 
was known as the throne of Jehovah on the earth. And hence when David and Solomon sat on it, it was the throne of Jehovah. And when sin came, Solomon's son Rehoboam came and the Lord divided the kingdom. First Kings chapter 12 between Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and Jeroboam, Solomon's understudy and servant. And they took the northern kingdom. Notice what I want you to see here tonight. It says in verse 2, And at, at the season he sent a husbandman to, to, pardon me, he sent to the husbandman a servant that he might receive from the husbandman of the fruit of the vineyard. This speaking of the the apostles, pardon me, the, the prophets who came beforehand, the prophets who came and warned the vineyard, looking for the fruit for the Lord, looking to see if there was any who would worship him. This speaks of the likes of what we've read of Hosea and Jeremiah and Daniel and Isaiah, and we could go on, and they come and they're all treated shamefully, and Jesus is looking back at this. God doesn't forget this. God doesn't forget the innocent blood that is shed. God doesn't forget those children of his that were murdered and treated shamefully. God remembers it. And notice here, he says about these people who are sent and they're treated terribly. Listen to what it says in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. Let me get a drink. It's warm up here. Matthew, chapter 11. And verse 12, it says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Pardon me, that's 12, I think. 12. Verse 13, And all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. These are those who Jesus is speaking about. Verse 14, And if ye will receive it, this is Elias or Elijah. Jesus is speaking, Elias is Elijah, which was for to come. Now, Elijah's dead 700 and something years, 50 years maybe now. Verse 15, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. But whereunto shall I like in this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, we have piped unto you and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you and you have not lamented. Here Jesus is likening the ministries of John the Baptist to Elias and also then his own ministry with John the Baptist. He's saying, we have piped, you haven't danced. We've mourned, you haven't mourned. John came fiery in his preaching. You didn't listen. He says, I'm coming lovingly and you still won't listen. Friend, what way does God have to deal with you that you might turn to him? I wonder what way God has to eventually deal with Ulster that she turns to him. I wonder what measures he has to take. He's saying we've sent those who will uh, be like those who sit in the markets. We, we have piped unto you, but you won't dance to the tune. So then we have come and we have mourned about it and you won't mourn with us. What else can I do for you? So Jesus has come down from Galilee where the northern kingdom would have been. And there he comes down to Jerusalem. Now listen to this. 
In the days of the Savior, it was quite a common practice, especially up around Galilee and around that whole region, for this kind of dispute to take place. For example, archaeologists have discovered records in the Galilee area of disputes taking place between landowners and tenant farmers. Now take note of this. Between landowners and tenant farmers. It was said that whoever had the use of the land, and take note of the number, three years. Whoever had the use of the land for three years was presumed to own it. I want you to take note of this. This is in Galilee. So Jesus is coming down. The Lord is coming down to these Jews in uh, Jerusalem. And this may well be the, pr- the premise of the Galilean, that he's come down to claim the land which is his own. To claim the land which is his own. For example, in Luke chapter 13, Luke 13 and verse 6, Listen to this. It's a similar parable, but it's very important. Take note of this. And he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Isn't that strange that a fig tree is in a vineyard? Vines are in vineyards. But Jesus says there's a fig tree there. In other words, it's sort of alien. It's in the wrong place. It's alien to the vine. It's a different tree. He says, there's a certain man had a fig tree and planted it in his vineyard and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. And when he said to the dresser of the vineyard, notice, behold these three years. Notice the number. Behold these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down why cumbereth it the ground. And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. The Lord Jesus is the one whom God is speaking to here. And the Father is saying to his Son, You've come here for three years. Notice the ownership was for three years. You've come preaching the word for three years. It also matches in with Daniel chapter 9 for those who want to do a bit of studying and the 70 weeks. Uh, prophecy of Daniel and cut off in the midst of the seven weeks, three and a half years. Notice this, he says, cut it down. This is a fig tree in the vineyard. You've tried with it for three years. It's not bearing fruit. We're getting no figs of it. Cut it down. Why is it cumbering the ground? And the man says, who is the Lord Jesus? Let it alone this year also. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then cut it down. And Jesus was saying, three years into his ministry, preaching the kingdom message onto the people. Three years around the temple. Three years all around Galilee and around Jewry. And he says, leave it alone this year. But in the middle of that year, three and a half years, he was crucified. Can you see it? There was a dispute of rights. Jesus was coming to say, the land is mine. He's God. The Jews were saying, we are here and we're staying. And so they crucified him. They crucified him. 
And so we find in, with no need to turn to it, but going back, back the way in, in Mark's, or pardon me, Jeremiah chapter 24, the Lord speaks of the southern kingdom of Judah as good figs and bad figs. Good Jews and bad Jews, if you want. There's good and bad in everybody here, isn't there? In every land. But there's good figs and there's bad figs. And he says the good ones went into Babylon, as he said, and believed his word. But the bad ones wouldn't go. They wouldn't obey the word of the Lord. And hence the fig tree came to represent them. And now years later, Jesus is there claiming his rights. He comes in and they're crying, Baruch Hosanna, Hosanna, Baruch Over and over again, Hosanna, Hosanna, Baruch Save, O save. Blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord as they straw the way with palm leaves and so forth in their clothes. Baruch they're crying. He's the king of Israel who has walked in the gate. By the end of the week, they cried, crucify him. Crucify him. So this ownership, we always hear who owns the, 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 the argument of who owns the land. Let me tell you what the Bible says. First of all, in First Chronicles 5 and 2, it says, Judah prevailed above his brethren. Of him came the chief ruler. And of him will come the Lord Jesus in this time. But notice it says, but the birthright was Joseph's. The land was owned by Joseph, not Judah or the Jews. Joseph is the northern kingdom. Remember the two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh? Junkers of Ephraim. That was another name for the northern kingdom, Joseph. Joseph owned the birthright. That's the scriptures. And then we look again. Psalm 24 and verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and them that dwell therein. The Lord owns all of it. There's just those who were there to dress it and look after it. You turn with me briefly to Leviticus 25. It's a bit like a Bible study than a preach tonight. We'll get there back and forward, but Leviticus, please. Leviticus 25, I'll turn with you. Let your eye run down to verse 18. I notice what the Lord says to Israel here. Wherefore ye shall do all my statutes, And keep my judgments and do them and ye shall dwell in the land safely. There's the hedge and the wall around about. And if ye shall say, what shall we eat on the seventh year? Behold, we shall not sow nor gather in our increase. Then will I command my blessing upon you in the sixth year. And it shall bring forth fruit for three years. And so by the time Jesus comes... If the vine and now the fig tree had have been walking before the Lord, worshipping the Lord, their laws had have been God's laws. They followed his word nationally. 
And personally, individually, the Lord says, if you do this, I will bless you abundantly, even for, what's the number? For three years. Jesus isn't plucking these little parables just out of his head just for the sake of it. He's going back into the Old Testament and he's saying, this is what I'm trying to show you people. This is what I'm trying to show you. And hence, we have the Lord speaking about these people. And he's saying, ye, you Jewish leaders did not follow the ways of my father. You don't know him. So the dispute of rights, he comes to claim what is his. And listen, there's a dispute of rights going on today in the vineyard, in our nation. There's a dispute of rights in the fruit, the fruit-bearing vine, especially in Ulster, of the gospel, of saving grace in Christ, of Calvary and the blood and the book, and the walking by the way of the Lord, our, our legislation according to God's word, all of these things, the fruit is starting to wither on the vine. So much so that as the fruit withers on the vine, there's barely any fruit left. And people keep saying, oh, the church, it's shrinking, it's shrinking. Listen, Jesus says, I will build my church. Do you know what he's saying to us? It doesn't matter who comes and goes. It doesn't matter who falls away and apostatizes. It doesn't matter the way the other churches are. It doesn't matter if all these pastors and ministers are having the, or rather have some sort of happy day in their church where all it is is fanciful furry tales and won't bring the word of God in case of offense and become politically correct and, and they end up, they, they preach like a woke preacher. He said it doesn't matter because really those who are mine, he says, I will build my church. I'm gathering in mine in these days. And there will be fruit in the vine for the coming of the Lord. He's coming again. And he's looking for the fruit in the vine. He's coming again and he's looking for the fruit in the vine. Ephraim, Britain, is a drunkard. She's a drunkard. Drunk with the fornication of the wicked. Drunk with the idolatry. Not just putting up idols. Anything that's placed before God Anything in your heart that lives there before Christ is idolatry. Idolatry. That's including your family and your children. That's including your husband or your wife. Anything or anyone put in place before Christ is idolatry. And the hymn writer wrote, The greatest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne. And worship only thee. Maybe learn to tear all idols down. See, if I had my way, I'd pull every single idol down. Every Christ-rejecting house down.
watching the time. After those woes, in Matthew 23, or pardon me, in Luke, or Isaiah 5, there are eight woes in Matthew 23. Turn with me, please, to Matthew 23. I'm conscious of the time, and I don't want to... I don't want to make this too long tonight, but there are eight woes. Remember the woes in Isaiah 5? There were six. Now they're up to eight. Let's just look at a couple of them. Verse 13. But woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. You know what he's saying? See, because of your, your religious ways and your religious practice, you don't even know your, the Father who you say you know. That's what he's saying. You're saying you're worshipping God. You don't even know him. And I'll tell you what you're doing. You're leading thousands to hell like yourself. And do you know what's happening in Ulster tonight? And across our nation tonight? See all of these soft, soaping, lick, spittle pastors and ministers and archbishops and priests and whoever else who aren't preaching the word of God, who aren't telling the people the truth who are soft-soaping them that they may uh, still keep on coming, who are there, 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 patting them on the back and pumping up their tires just to make everybody feel good, all is love and love is all, and all of this sort of stuff. And they're telling them uh, that everything will be all right rather than repent and believe the gospel. Do you see all of those men? They're bringing people to hell with themselves. They're bringing people to hell with themselves. I know this is heavy. I know this is heavy. Verse 14. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, ye shall receive the greater damnation. This is Jesus. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, who's going to accept everybody in, in their sin, living how they like. This is Jesus. If I was to say that, people would say, and I'm talking about other Christians, it's not very Christ-like, Ken. This is Jesus saying this. Christ himself. Verse 15, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass the sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Think about this. Verse 16, woe unto you, you blind guides, which say, whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold in the temple, he's a debtor. He says, you're a fool. In other words, they're saying, you know, it's all about the temple. It's all about the Jewish temple. It's all about the ritual in the temple. It's all about the sacrifice in the temple. Jesus said, that if you destroy this temple, he says, I will raise it again in the third day. Not the temple of brick and mortar. Jesus says, your house is left unto you desolate. In other words, your temple is going to be pulled down. The church you're relying on for salvation, if it's a denomination you're relying on for salvation, the person you're trusting in other than Christ for salvation will make you a two more fold child of hell and damnation if you follow down the same lines. For it will all be pulled down because it's Babylon. 
be pulled to the ground with their idols. I'm going to try and round this up somewhere. There's others there, but I, I just haven't time to go into them all. So, in Mark chapter 12 and verse 6, Mark chapter 12 again, our reading, and verse 6. Some of these messages you could do over a couple of weeks, but the problem is people tend to forget it. And by the time you do a recap, you've already done another sermon before you get into the one you're coming to do. Having therefore one son, all of this said and done, having therefore one son, notice his well-beloved. doesn't say that about the servants even at that point. doesn't say it about the, the prophets, even though he loved them. He says, but Jesus is saying, this man, speaking of his God the Father, and he the Son, having, he says, Therefore, one son. You see the term there, having therefore one son. There's two slight different renderings in the Greek text, and this is the way it would read. Yet he had one person, his son. Out of all of it, out of all of humanity, out of all of Israel, out of all the vine and the vineyard, the vineyard is Christendom, even out of all of Christendom now, out of all of it, he had nobody but one son. And as simply other ways it reads, yet he had one, his son. Think about in all of heaven and earth, there was only one that could redeem us. One worthy enough to save us. One who could come and bleed and die and pay the debt for us that we owed. We're all sinners no matter who we are. Where we're from, every one of us. We're all sinners. Doesn't matter how clean your life was. You were a sinner. It says he sends his son. They will reverence my son. You know... Matthew 15 and 24, Jesus said, I am not sent, Father sent his son, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, the vineyard. Christendom comes out of this. John 5 and 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but has passed from death unto life. And in John 8 and 42, Jesus said unto them, that is the Jewish leaders, you notice this? Now listen to this. If God were your father, you would love me. If God were your father, you would love me. I'm going to tell you, see if you don't love him tonight. And you need to check, is God your father? Do you love him? Do you love him? He said, if God's your father, you'll love me. That's why he said, you're none of mine, because you don't love my father. 
from you get saved, you learn to love him, don't you? You come into right relationship with him and you love him. You love his word. You love everything about him. I love him. I love him. I love him because he first loved me. I love him. Mark 12 and 7. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him. Notice, and his inheritance shall be ours. There is the dispute. If we kill him, we will have it all. And today, there are those, Revelation chapter 2 and 9. Revelation chapter 3 and 9, as Israel are migrating and coming west and the church of Jesus Christ is, is being built across what would be now Europe and so forth. Read at the very, very early days, the church of Smyrna, Revelation 2 and 9, and I think it's the church of Philadelphia, Revelation 3 and 9. No in Philadelphia is in prophetic time, just over 100 years ago, about 100 to 150 years ago, that time when you had all the great preachers like Charles Haddon Spurgeon and you had D.L. Moody, all of those wonderful great preachers. And then among it, Jesus said, there are those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. We think of coming from out there where the Rothschilds come out of it. And the Bilderbergers and the George Soros and the Goldman Sachs. And they can go on and on. And they infiltrate all throughout the nation. They come among the vine. The fig tree, as it were, is back among the vine. No fruit on it. No fig from it. 
They're those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. And they fund wars and they fund all sorts of these organizations that are risen up to try and control the masses of the nation. And know what they're saying, especially in us in Christendom today. They're saying in these covenant nations, let us seize the air and kill them. And the inheritance will be ours. A new world order. Ours will be a one world government. And guess what, brothers and sisters? They can say it all they want. Because we're told a stone kingdom cut out without hands in the book of Daniel is coming to smash great Babylon, this Edomite Babylonian kingdom that's ruling over the the hearts of men and women and minds with fear tonight says that the stone kingdom cut out without hands is coming. That is the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The King of heaven is coming to earth and the dispute of rights will be over. Jesus is King of kings and he's the Lord of lords. Isn't that wonderful? Aren't you glad you're saved? Aren't you glad you're his? They took him out of the vineyard, we're told, and they killed him. They took Jesus outside the city walls to the rubbish tip. That's what they thought of him. They took Christ outside the city walls to the rubbish tip and they crucified him. But when he comes back again, he says, I will say, bring those who would not have me to rule over them before me that I may slay them. It's not serious. Well, if you're saved tonight and you know Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, you know when he comes, you know what's going to happen? We're going to rise to meet the Lord in the air. Our bodies are going to be changed and we're going to return and rule and reign with Christ on the earth. And we'll rule and reign with him for a thousand years. And then we'll go into the eons of eons, eternity upon eternity. And there we shall ever be with the Lord. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he great? He's magnificent. I get excited at these things. So you just have to bear with me and forgive me. Team, would you come up, please? We're going to close.